Welcome to the Caledonia Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. Caledonia Baptist Church is a small biblical church located in Caledonia, Mississippi. We believe in expository preaching, so join us for this sermon as we go verse by verse and see what the scripture has to say to us. This morning we're going to talk about something very specific, but I actually wanted to start this week with a question that has very little to do with our sermon, but I thought it was a good, important question. How is your Bible reading plan going so far this year? I know uh, we place a lot of importance upon the reading of the Word, so um, I'm praying that it go, it's going well for all of you. And if you haven't started a plan or you don't have a plan to read the Bible this year, this is my suggestion to you. Get to it. Because it is a wonderful practice, it is a wonderful habit of grace, and it is a wonderful spiritual discipline to read the Bible daily. So get to it. On this third Sunday of the year, I thought it would be a relevant discussion to discuss something that's very important for the whole church, but I think is also very important for our church. And that is for us to look at how the church is built. How the church is built. Now, this is not to increase our attendance. This is not to... Uh, gain more members for our membership role. Those are wonderful things. But that isn't what we're going to discuss this morning. We're not talking about growth in that way. Uh, In order to do this, we must look at what is key to a solid foundation for the church. The cornerstone. And that cornerstone is Christ. God the Son the Redeemer, the center of the gospel, the object of all scripture, the ever-reigning king of the kingdom of God, like we talked about with the kids. One of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite church leaders sums it up nicely, I think. He said, No Christ in your sermons, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. And that was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who my son is named after. But let's get into the word. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. And one of my favorite sounds is Bible pages flipping. As Junior looks at the screen and he scrolls. Matthew 16, 13 through 19 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who... Do you say 
that I am. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses in the, other, in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It testifies to supernatural events and specific fulfilling of scripture and prophecies. We thank you that it is the most reliable document in human history and that we can trust exactly what you say in it, for it is you speaking. Open up our hearts to it. Open up our minds. Holy Spirit, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. Now, this particular set of verses is extremely important. And it's important and pivotal in the ministry of Christ, specifically for three specific reasons. It's this. First, it is the first revealing of Jesus as the Christ to his disciple. It's the first time he's just revealed. He is the Christ. The second is this is Peter's profession of faith in him that he is. And thirdly, it is also the first mention of the church in the New Testament. So we've got three really important things that we're seeing in this scripture, and all of these are important, very important respectively, for our purposes here. Now we're going to focus on the church because we're talking about how the church is built, but each piece of this is important in that building of the church. Because we're going to focus on Christ. And guess whose church this is? This is Christ's church. It's his. Doesn't belong to us. Doesn't belong to Brother Kelby or myself. Doesn't belong to the town of Caledonia. This church belongs to Christ. Amen. Along with the church all over the world. You see, this entire text contains important aspects of Christ's church and how it's to be built. And though we speak much of basically the capital C church, right? The church of Jesus Christ, the, the body of believers made up of all believers of like faith with us that, that confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Though it speaks of, in that wide of a scope, these things are actually applicable in our individual church. In each church that would name the name of Christ, we can see these points and aspects as things that are important to us. So Christ begins this interaction with his apostles and his disciples in a very interesting way and a very important question. I love the idea of questioning. As you see when I do a kid's sermon, I love questions. As when I preach, I love questions because I like almost catechism-style preaching, catechism-style teaching, because ask a question, answer the question, then you know the information, right? Jesus asked the question. It's very important. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? To this question, the disciples gave several wrong answers that were 
being openly discussed outside, I'm sure, as they were walking along preaching the gospel, I'm sure these things were discussed. Um, and they said, uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, the other prophets, right? These are answers that people who were looking at Christ and trying to decide who he was using their own head knowledge were trying to discern, and they were being investigators, right? They were investigating who they thought Christ was, and these were the answers they came up with. Well, that kind of, identifi that kind of identification of Christ is still being made today. How many of you heard, he's a good teacher, or he's a great example for us, or this is, this is one I've heard a lot recently, he's whoever I make him to be to me, And let me state it clearly, and I want you to understand what I'm saying here. These are heretical ways of looking at Jesus. We don't get to decide who he is to us, and that's who he is. A church must understand who Christ is in a true way. This is not based on any speculation, any feelings, any worldly knowledge that we may have. This is based on something very specific. Who does the word reveal him to be? Christ then continues the conversation with the most important question. This question is even important to us. Who do you say that I am? Christ is pointing out two important things by asking the question the way he asked it here. He says, who do you say that I am? The first thing he's, he's kind of pointing out is the absolute importance of knowing who he is. And the second thing is confessing that openly. Notice he doesn't say, who do you think I am? He says, who do you say that I am? Therefore, there's a confessing element and we are a confessional church, as, we, as, as, as we've stated many times before. That's why we confess the Apostles' Creed. Because we're stating who we think Jesus is. Do you know what you believe about Christ? That's an important question to ask ourselves almost daily. Do you believe in the Christ who is revealed in the Scriptures? Another important question question to ask ourselves. Another important reason to be reading our Bibles for sure. Are you able and willing to share what you believe about Christ? These are questions we need to be able to answer confidently. I want to share with you a little bit about the prayer my daughter prays now. We've gone for thank you for my family, thank you for my friends, thank you for your word. Help us understand it. We've gone from that to Lord, let all the other people find a church, especially ours, she says that, especially ours, so they can hear the gospel from Brother Kelby and my daddy, and so that they can go out and spread the word. That's her prayer. I think, I'm thankful for teachers that are teaching her that here at this church. And she's getting that, and she gets it. That this good news that we have is not something to be kept, it's to be spread. 
Let's look at some of these verses more closely. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This verse is a pivotal verse in the entire exchange between Jesus and his apostles here. It is a pivotal verse in the life of Peter, for sure. But more than that, it is a pivotal verse in all of Scripture. Peter puts into very clear words exactly who he thinks Jesus is. Why does he think this? Why can he state this as solidly as he does? Well, he's heard the Old Testament probably since he was born. Scriptures clearly laid these things out. And then he's traveled with Jesus and he sees the things Jesus is doing. And he sees these things and he hears these words and he looks at Old Testament and he sees these things and he looks at these prophecies and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. By saying that Jesus is the Christ, which is Christos, which means the anointed one. What he is saying is, you are the, the Messiah, the Mashiach, prophesied in the Old Testament. You're him. You are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the one whom God has sent to save us. But he also called Jesus the son of the living God. Now, in identifying Christ as the Son of the living God, he is identifying him as the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He's saying, you're God. He is confessing by making the statement of faith in Christ. He is exhibiting a type of faith that is so important to us all. Saving faith, the first faith that we ever possess is saving faith. This is foundational to the true church. Let's look at verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus makes an essential point right here. Knowledge of Christ only comes from the Father. John 6.44, clear as day. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Father must give us the knowledge of who Christ is and how we should respond to him. And what is the way that we should respond to Christ? In saving faith, in faith putting our faith in him as Christ, the Son of the living God. Saving faith is the essential building block of the church. Notice I said the essential building block of the church. Why? Because the church, capital C, is for one group of people in the entire world, believers in Christ. That's who the church is for. That's what makes us up. That's what joins us together in fellowship here with people in Zambia who, are who confess the name of Jesus Christ and are having church. And people 
in China who are hidden, having church, confessing the name of Jesus Christ, what is the one unifying factor? Our belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. So, only those who have received that saving faith from the Father are able to even call themselves believers. And Peter is a good example of that. Verse 18 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this verse sounds like the verse is all about Peter. And that's not necessarily accurate. Some would twist this to say that Peter is the founding member of a certain church and that he's the first pope. That's not what it says here. Because this verse isn't about Peter. He's not the focus of this verse. Who is the focus of this verse? What is the key object that he says? He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What is the focus of this verse? The rock. That is the focus. And he says, upon this rock I'm going to build my church. This is the rock upon which Christ is establishing his church. Now Peter, listen to me, I'm, I, I want to be clear on this. Peter and the other apostles are important, and they are essential even to establishing his church going forward, for sure. The last verse of the text tells us that. They're absolutely important, but I don't think that is the point that Christ is making here. What is the rock? Peter means rock, but it ain't Peter. What is the rock? What did Peter say? Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Peter said. And he said, you're Peter. Your name's Peter. Your name means rock. But I'm going to tell you, that is the rock upon which I will build my church. Christ, the Son of the living God. It's the point of Peter's statement of faith. The rock the church is built on is Christ himself. He is the rock. And we can go further. How can we prove this to be true? Well, I'm glad you asked because Peter wrote some letters. And his, in his first epistle, he explains with absolute clarity who he thinks the rock is. 1 Peter 2, 6-8, through 8, it says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, chief corner, the, the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble... Because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. What is Peter saying? He's saying for us who are in Christ, he is our rock. He is our cornerstone. And for those who disobey his word and do not believe in Christ, he is the stone of stumbling. 
So who is the rock according to Peter? Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. I love what Psalm 61, 2 and 3 says. From the end of the earth, I call to you in my heart of faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against my enemies. Jesus is the rock that is higher. His ways are so much higher, he is so worthy of our worship and praise. As if we don't have enough evidence so far of what the foundation is, we go into 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the foundation. So for Peter and Paul, who's the foundation? Who's the rock? Christ. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22 says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit, for God by the Spirit. Christ is the foundation that holds the church together. Without Christ and his work, it all falls apart. It says clearly in that verse 18, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does that mean? When we see overseas, we see churches where people are dragged in the street and killed for their faith. It seems like the gates of hell are trying their best to prevail. But here's the thing. Like the martyrs of old, they know that when they close these earthly eyes, that the first thing that they're going to see is the face of their Savior, Jesus Christ. And what will he say to them as he wipes away the tears from their eyes? He'll say, well done. And no more will they suffer. No more will they have tears. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will be saved to the uttermost, just as Christ said, just as it has been said from the beginning. The head of the serpent will be crushed by the heel of the Savior. And forever we will be with our Lord. Christ will not fail in his mission. He will not fail in his great work, and he will not fail in his church. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The apostles were given authority here to establish how the church was going to be governed, how it was going to be structured, how church should be done to set it up in the way it should be according to what Christ taught them firsthand. And guess what? They wrote it down for us. Thank goodness. Some great examples that we have heard recently in our church are Timothy and Titus, very clear about who governs the church and, and, and those things and what qualifies an elder. Who are we to think that we can just do church in a new way? 
and decide better things than what God has established. Who do we think we are? When he gave the authority to the apostles to write it down, and we say, well, that's just old stuff. We know so much more now. We're so much more refined and civilized than they were in those days. Who do you think you are? These men walked with Jesus, and they wrote it down, and we should read it and trust it. How a church should be set up in government go, and governed is clearly laid out in scriptures, led by qualified elders. Services made up of a biblical liturgy, just like we spent weeks teaching on. All that's done points to Christ, not to me, not to anybody else. We need never and should never question this. After going through this text, I think it's very clear that Christ is telling us how the church is to be built. So let's lay it out. We've got six points here that tell us how is the church built. The first one is this. We're built on a firm understanding of who Christ is. John 10, 27 through 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. A church is made up of believers who clearly understand exactly who Christ is according to Scripture. Are we going to know every facet, everything about God on this earth? No. Do we continue searching and pointing to Him and learning? Absolutely. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we pray. That's why we join in fellowship together. That's what we do. We are discipling each other into knowing Christ even better. And that should be our daily walk. That I may know Christ even better today than I knew yesterday. The second is confessing and sharing the truth of Christ. A church is built on the gospel. The gospel is preached from the pulpit. And then it is shared outside the church by believers as well. And what is the central element of the gospel? Christ. We give them Christ. Because I got news. My cool testimony about how I was saved is not the gospel. The gospel is that we were made by God. He has absolute reign over us and has authority to tell us what we should do. He told them in the garden, don't eat of that tree. And what did they do? They ate of the tree. They sinned and they fell. And because of them, we were all born in sin and in trouble. But Christ came that we may be saved. He took all of our sin upon himself after living a sinless life. He bore the wrath and punishment for our sins. And now, because he was clothed in our sin, we can be clothed in his righteousness and saved. And what is our response to that? Faith in Christ. Repent and believe in Him. That's our response. That's the gospel. Not how I was saved. Not the things I went through in my life and now I'm better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ saving humanity. 
Number three, knowing the Christ revealed by the Father. You see, God brings us to Christ. He gives us the saving faith for Christ, and we are justified by faith in Christ alone. The Christ revealed in Scripture. The Christ that the Holy Spirit reveals to us as we read the Bible. We know this Christ. This is the Christ we're going to. I don't need a, a, a cool Savior who's my homeboy. I need Jesus Christ, who is the God of the universe from all eternity, who took on flesh, became 100% man, 100% God, lived a sinless life and died for me. That's the Jesus I need. I don't need any other Jesus. Number four. Doing all things in the church as laid out in Scripture. Our worship services should be biblical. But what if the people outside don't think that's fun? Hate your bad luck. The services are supposed to be biblical. And here's a question that, it, that, that, that we as elders have to ask ourselves. Should we make this comfortable for people who don't know Christ? Should we adjust and make things more loose and fun and exciting? And should we do that? No. Here's the thing. A sinner who walks in this place and doesn't know Christ should not be comfortable. What they should be is told the gospel by us and called to repent by the word of God. That's what they should have. The spiritual disciplines are those laid out in Scripture. People add spiritual disciplines all the time, but these are the ones that are laid out in Scripture. Know His Word, read His Word, pray, and join an assembly where you can be discipled. That's, that's, that's the spiritual disciplines laid out. Now, some people add so many more, but that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. We're called to know, read the Word, know the Word, pray, and, and be a part, a member of a church where we can be discipled and held accountable. That's what we should be doing. Christ is worthy of our reverence and worship, and we worship in here with a term that I don't know if Brother Kelby coined it, but I like using it, joyful seriousness. We worship him in joyful seriousness, happy yet knowing that we are, we are worshiping a God who has called us into his presence through his word and knowing that he is worthy of all of our worship and reverence. Church is built on being established on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I believe the old hymn said it best. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If we aren't established and founded upon Christ Jesus as our Lord, we're in the wrong church. We're not in a church because Christ is the foundation. And also the church is built by making Christ the star. No one else is the star of the show, okay? No preachers are the stars. No singers are the stars. Making ministers the star of the show has gotten many a church in trouble. The celebrity culture that you see in a lot of mega churches has gotten a lot of churches in trouble. Why? Because when the man becomes a star and not Christ, 
things aren't right. When Christ is the star, we must decrease and he must increase. Christ is central. Christ is the star. We're called Christians. The central root word in Christian is Christ. So I'm not even identified identifying myself by saying that I'm a Christian. I'm identifying myself with the Savior. We don't need celebrities. We need Christ. And I pray that we continue to see that in this church. I'm going to leave you with two questions. Like I said, I love questions. I love giving us something to think about during the week. The first question is this. Is Christ the foundation of your life as well as his church? Because folks, when all is failing, when there's a bad report, when the bank account doesn't have enough money, we are serving a sovereign God who knows and has brought us exactly where we are. And if Christ isn't your foundation, all the other ground is sinking sand. Is Christ the foundation of your life as well as the church? And the second question is, do you love his church? I heard an analogy one time. You know, there's a, there's a big movement. You guys probably know this. You, you may even know somebody. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I got the Bible, and I can watch some videos. I mean, I don't need to go to church. I mean, I can't stand the people in the church. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. I know you've heard it. You may have heard it this week. This is the analogy I heard on that, and I think it's very applicable and true. For me to say, oh, I don't need the church. I don't, I don't, I don't like the church at all. I, I just think it's wrong. I think it's an establishment of man. I just don't like the church. It would be like me and my wife coming to Junior and Michelle's house. And coming together and having a meal, sitting down to watch episode four of Star Wars, and then Junior leaning over to me and saying, now Jason, I love you, I I'm glad we, ha we share this love of Star Wars and we can watch this together, but I cannot stand your wife. If I was any kind of man, that statement wouldn't stand with me. We as the church are the bride of Christ. How can we say we love Christ if we don't love his bride? We can't. The church is essential for us. Do you love the church? And may I say, I love my church. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for this sermon. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week as we continue going verse by verse into God's Word. Sola Scriptura, Soli Deo Gloria.